Six days ago, if you were like me, you awoke and were in utter disbelief as you watched the news and read article after article on the Las Vegas shooting. You, were prob- you probably asked yourself, how could man be capable of such evil? What would cause somebody to do such a despicable act? This morning, as we continue our Matthew series, we come across a passage of Scripture that shows us just what kind of evil man is cap- capable of. Why is there evil in our world? Why do natural disasters occur? Why do those that we love die a premature death? Why? We've all asked ourselves those questions. Why? Because you and I live in a broken world. This world is broken because of the sinfulness of man. Reaching all the way back to humanity's beginning, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil. Man is wicked. Our thoughts are wicked. Our ways are wicked. And it is only by God's grace that you and I are not sentenced to hell for our wickedness. By his grace and through faith, you and I can be forgiven. We can be forgiven for our sinful acts if we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. I think it's interesting how, how God works things out. That this morning as we think about everything that's happened over the course of this week, that we come across this particular passage of Scripture dealing with the beheading of John the Baptist. So read with me in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. It says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. I've entitled this message this morning, The Martyrdom of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. Scripture tells us that before he was even born, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a prophet and a herald of the Lord. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. 
I mean, just think about that. Let that process this morning. He was the greatest man ever born of a woman. I mean, that makes him better than all of the heroes of faith that we read about in the Old Testament. It means that he was better than Enoch. Man, I love Enoch. As you know, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, not because there's a long discourse about him, but because it's short, sweet, and simple that he lived his life as he died. No, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know why I just said that. But it's, it's short and it's simple that he walked with God and he was no more. Man, may that be said of us, that we walked with God and we were no more. So he was greater than Enoch. He was greater than Noah, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than King David, King Solomon, greater than Jeremiah, Isaiah, greater than Daniel, greater than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's greater than all of these heroes of the faith. Here's what I love about John. He was not afraid to call a sin a sin. In our story this morning, that is exactly what we read. John calls out Herod the Tetrarch because he stole his brother Philip's wife Herodias and made her his. This resulted in John being thrown into prison. He was not in a typical prison as you and I would think of a typical prison today. John was in prison um, atop of Mount Masada. There was a fortress that was there, a palace of King Herod. Of all the places that I've had the opportunity to visit while in Israel, this is actually one of my favorite places because it is a, um, it is a, a, a marvel how they were able to build this palace. You can see up here on the screen that, that, um, Mount Masada is 3,600 feet above the Dead Sea. And a fortress was built upon that. There are no roads really that lead up there. I mean, it was a marvel for them to do what they did atop of that mountain. Well, it was on that mountain that John was placed in prison. It was also on that mountain that John would lose his life. John the Baptist would have been prison upon that mountain. And it's most likely that he was not in a 12 by 12 cell that had running water in a toilet as we think of a prison today. It is most likely that a large hole was dug and, and John the Baptist was thrown inside of that hole and that would be his prison for the year or so that he was imprisoned. Think about what he went through. Think about the loneliness. It would have been excruciating. Think about the desert heat. It would have been overwhelming. Think about the cold nights that he experienced in that desert. It would have been piercing. Then think about the darkness of being inside of that hole. It would have been haunting. He was hated by the king. And the only reason he was not put to death at, at the beginning of his imprisonment was because King Herod feared uh, there would be a revolt by the Jews and by John's disciples and by John's followers because he had, he, he had generated such a following. John was the herald of Christ. He preached a message of repentance and prophesied of the kingdom of heaven being at hand. His message was a message of repentance. So we should not be surprised that it would be his very message on repentance that would end up being the message that would cause him to lose his life. John would die a martyr's death on top of that mountain. This morning, our message point is this. Sometimes we will pay a price for telling the truth. 
Sometimes we may even pay a high price for telling the truth. That is what we see this morning. Because John the Baptist called a sin a sin, he ended up losing his life. Notice our first point this morning is this. Herod's guilty conscience. In verses 1 through 2, again, we read, At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, every single one of us in this room have a conscience, don't we? Every one of us in this room have a conscience. It's like the boy, the little boy said once, he said, Your conscience is what makes you tell your mom what happened before your sister does. If you have a sibling, there was a time in your life that you probably did that. What is the difference between your conscience and your conscience? Your conscience is when you are made aware of something. Your conscience is when you wish you weren't. John Shirley said, conscience is the red warning light in your soul. It is a moral beeper that goes off when you have done something wrong. You know, I read that the IRS has a conscience fund. It was started way back in 1811 when they received an envelope with $6 in it from someone that said that they cheated on their taxes. In 1950, this fund collected $370,000. 14000 of that came from one individual. They have received notes that say such things as, I'll sleep better now. I'd hate to burn in hell over a couple of bucks. This one is probably my favorite. I'm sending you this $175 because my conscience has been bothering me. If it continues to bother me, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) You know, our conscience is capable of destroying us, isn't it? Herod had a guilty conscience. In verse 1, again, we read, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. So our first sub-point is Jesus' fame was spreading. Here's what's surprising. It is very possible that Herod had never heard the name of Jesus before this moment. Herod the Tetrarch. This is not Herod the Great that we read about in the beginning of the Gospels. This is not the Herod that was responsible for the death of every child two years and under around the area of Bethlehem at the time that Jesus was born. This is his son. You've heard the saying, like father, like son. Well, this Herod in our story this morning is just as wicked as his father was. You know, I'm not sure how he had not heard of Jesus' fame spreading sooner than it had. But apparently, he had not. I do think that one reason is because, as many monarchs did, they lived a very sheltered life. He was not the king of the people. He was a man who only cared about himself and his own sensual pleasures. Herod was blinded because of his guilt. Herod had John arrested and murdered. This sinful act 
must have haunted Herod all of the days of his life. In fact, it haunted him so much that when he gets word of the miraculous works that Jesus was doing, he claims that it was John the Baptist resurrected. He really thought that the supernatural acts that were being done across Galilee were being done by a man whose head had been beheaded. I don't know how he could have thought that, but he did. He thought Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated. What would cause him to think that? It had to be his guilty conscience. Have you ever been there? Has your guilty conscience caused you at times to see things or maybe to hear things or to mistake things as being, being um, thinking that it was reality when it wasn't? Herod did, I believe. May we never find ourselves in a similar place where our conscience causes us to, to, to act out in ways that we shouldn't. Notice our second point this morning. It's this. Herod's shameful decision. What kind of evil is man capable of? Well, this passage of Scripture shows us. We already know that Herod the Great was an evil man. He was responsible for much brutality over the course of of his life. Now his son is continuing that worthless legacy. One writer states what we're told that Herod the Tetrarch, the ruler of Palestine at the time, married Herodias, his brother's wife. Of course, the first question people might ask is, what's wrong with that? Well, Herod was the ruler of God's people and therefore was under the law of God. And God had told his people way back in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Now, there was an exception to that rule, an exception to that law, and that was this. If a man died childless, his brother was required to marry his dead brother's wife and take care of her. But in this case, Herod's brother was still alive. In the eyes of God, what Herod did must have been like one of Jeff Foxworthy's redneck jokes. You know you're a redneck if you go to your family reunion to look for dates. You know, we laugh at that. But the reason we laugh is because we know that no intelligent man would ever do something like that. We know there's something wrong with a guy who would date their own relatives. And likewise, there was something wrong with Herod. He was disobeying a direct command of God. Notice John was the messenger of God. John knew God's word. He knew a sinful act when he saw one. In verse 4 of our focal passage this morning, we read, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. This verse leads us to believe that John didn't just call out the sin of Herod and Herodias once, but most likely John did it over and over and over again. And the only way that King Herod could silence John was to arrest him and throw him into a, a, a hole in, uh, on top of one of his palaces, and, and, and it would be only then that he would be able to silence John the Baptist. Folks, here's the problem with the church today. We are afraid to call a sin a sin. 
We're afraid to call out sin in the church, and we're even afraid to call out a sin outside of the church because um, we're afraid that we may be looked upon in a way that, that we don't want to be looked upon. We're afraid that we may receive backlash from the world, backlash from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to remember there is just one standard, and that is God's standard for living. He has called all of humanity to righteousness. All of humanity, not just Christ followers. He has called all of humanity to righteousness. He has called the professing Christian to righteousness, the professing Jew to righteousness, the professing Muslim to righteousness, the professing Buddhist to righteousness, the professing Hindu to righteousness, the professing agnostic or atheist or Satanist, all people to righteousness. It does not matter what a person's religion is. There is just one standard by which we are to live, and that is God's standard. Are we to respect all people? Yes. Are we to love all people? Absolutely. Are we to approve of a person's sinful lifestyle? No. Why? Because we know what God's word says. Jesus did not tell us that there are multiple avenues or multiple ways to heaven. He says there is but one way, and that is through him. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There, there is not a way through Islam to heaven. There is not a way through Buddhism to heaven or Hinduism to heaven. There is only one way for a person to attain eternal life, and that is through a personal relationship with Jesus. Christ and John the Baptist recognized that. That is why he was not afraid to call a sin a sin. Not only was John the messenger of God, but clearly John was a man of God. John stood up for God's righteousness. He stood against hypocrisy and sinfulness. He called people to repentance and he baptized them. He did that to one couple And guess what that couple did? They pushed back. Calling out sin is certainly not going to be received well by the sinner, is it? For John calling out the unrighteous marriage of Herod and Herodias, it will cost him his life. I just want you to think about the sickness of this man, Herod. He steals his brother's wife. Now that is just all kinds of messed up right there. But notice what we read in verse 6. It says, but when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Okay, I want you to know right now that the kind of dancing that this young lady did was probably not ballet, okay? The kind of dancing that she did would have been sordid and sensual. Now, there is obviously a righteousness issue with that. This king should not have engaged in such behavior. The other problem with this whole scene is this. The person that was dancing in front of him, this drunken, creepy old man, was his stepdaughter, who was probably at that time a very young teenager. And I'm not sure who was actually more evil. Was it King Herod or was it his wife Herodias for allowing her daughter to dance in front of her stepfather? Regardless, the messenger of God 
called out their sinfulness. And in the Gospel of Mark, we get a little bit more of a description of the reward that Herod was willing to give his stepdaughter. In Mark chapter 6, verses 21 through 23, we read this. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Now, I don't know what kind of dance that was, but it must have been something that really got his attention. And the reason that Herod would only offer up half of his kingdom is because if he offered any more than that, then he would cease to be the king. So notice what this girl does. She goes and seeks the counsel of her mom. Once again, proving that most likely this is just a teenage girl not really understanding what was going on or what she should do. So she went and she sought the counsel of her mom. And in verse 8 we read, Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. Was this wicked king really sorry? I don't think that he was sorry. I don't think that he was sorry in the sense of of he was really sorry for what he was about to do or what he had done. Because if you remember, King Herod wanted to kill John the Baptist right after he arrested him. But because of a fear of a revolt, he did not do that. He did not put to death just an ordinary man either. He was responsible for killing the man that Jesus claimed to be the greatest man ever born of a woman. So what does King Herod do? He grants the wish of this little girl, and he brings to her John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's just messed up. That is all kinds of messed up right there. So what is man capable of? Man is capable of, 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 of some outrageous behavior. Some, some, some very, very, from the pits of this earth, wickedness. He is capable of wickedness. We saw, saw that on display this week. We've seen that on display over the course of, of the past many years across our land and around this world. Man is capable of extreme wickedness. Here's what I want us to see this morning as we conclude. Our final point is this. Jesus, the comforter. In verses 12 and 13, we read, And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. What we have the opportunity to see this morning is this. We know that Jesus was fully God, 100% fully God. He was God, became man, incarnate. He came and he dwelt among us, fully God. But we also see here that Jesus was fully man. That is on perfect display in the closing verses of our reading this morning. When he gets word that John, his cousin, his friend, his herald, was put to death, 
Scripture says that he retreated and he went away to a desolate place. Why did he do that? Did he do it to mourn the loss of John? Yeah, I think so. But I also think that possibly Jesus also retreated knowing that the day was coming soon. It was fast approaching when he too would be put to death. He would too be put to death at the hands of Herod and the religious leaders. We do not know everything about what was going through Jesus' mind. Scripture doesn't reveal that to us. So me even just making reference here is I'm just guessing. But we do know that Jesus, as he often did, went away. I'm sure that he went away to pray. I'm sure that he went away to reflect. And we can learn from this model that Jesus demonstrates right here. Here's what we know. We know this, that Jesus can provide salvation to people like Herod. He can provide salvation and forgiveness for people like us. Yes, wickedness rages in our world. Yes, acts of terrorism happen way too often. The only hope for this wicked and depraved world is Jesus. Jesus is the only hope. And when we stand for Jesus, we need to remember it will be costly at times. A.T. Robertson wrote, It cost John his head. But it is better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. Folks, we can be ambassadors of change in this world or we can be like this world. We can go all throughout life never making an impact for Christ or we can go throughout life being the agents of change that the Lord Jesus created us to be. Calling out wickedness in our world will be costly. It was costly John the Baptist. It's been costly to countless numbers of martyrs of the faith over the course of Christendom. It will be costly. But if we are going to be Christ ambassadors, if we are going to demonstrate a righteous lifestyle, then we must go forth and urge other people to a righteousness as well. Jesus said that we are to be righteous. He said that we need to be perfect. And and all that we do, we need to be obtaining righteousness and attaining a state of perfection. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we fall every single day. But we serve a God who forgives us and cleanses us and purifies us and and has called us and set us apart to go and to make disciples. May we be disciple makers. You know, Jeremiah 17.9, we read it a few minutes ago. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We see on full display that the heart is deceitful and it is desperately wicked. There's only one hope and that is Jesus Christ. May we be Christ ambassadors that go and to preach the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with. As we do that, does that mean that there's not going to be any more acts of terrorism across our land? No, that doesn't mean that because there's still going to be wickedness that rages within our land. But we want to be do everything that we can to point people to Jesus and to give them an opportunity to repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know where you would spend eternity. 
Jesus made it clear. I already shared this passage, but in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sins and to cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. And Scripture says that if we do that, we will be saved. We will be set free. We will be given a new life in Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while. And the Lord is leading you to make friendship your church home. And we would love for you to do that this morning. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then after that, we're going to have a time of invitation. This is an opportunity for you to respond to the message, an opportunity for you to respond and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Um, And so let's pray together, and then we'll do that. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, just thanking you for the truth of your word. Father, I know that this message this morning is, is, is not an easy one to process. Because we know that wickedness is all around us. Wickedness rages within our world. Father, you have set us apart to be light in the midst of darkness. And so, Father, may you use us and send us into the dark crevices of this world with the hope of Christ. Yes, it may be costly for some of us. Yes, it may be a difficult journey. Yes, there may be some in this room that potentially could lose their lives for taking the gospel into these dark recesses of this world. But, Father, that is what you have called us to do. You have called us, Father, to go to the easy places as well as the hard places. And may we be obedient to the Great Commission today. Father, if there's someone in this room or others in this room that have never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to confess you and profess you as the Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, there may be some here this morning that's been visiting this church a while, and you're leading them to become a member. And, Father, we welcome them. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.